Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 6, starting at verse number 25. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us eyes to see exactly what you have for us. Lord, today let us be focused upon your word. No distractions or no hindrance. It will go forward to cause any of us to get off of your word. Help us to hear with our spiritual ears today exactly what you have for us. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated this morning. Look at somebody real quick to the left and the right. Tell them good morning. Hallelujah. Well, we are so glad that each and every one of you are here with us this morning. For those of you who are joining us just for the first time, God bless you. I hope you feel at home, and I hope you feel like you're among family. We started last week a series that we've entitled Haunted, and we've been looking at things that haunt us in our life that really take a a, a bit of, of, of knowledge and prayer and developing our spirit to be able to get over these things. Of course, last week was just a a power-packed message, but this week I want to talk to you all about something that all of us deal with. Last week we looked at doubt. This week I want to talk to you about doubt's first cousin, and that is worry. Everybody say worry. This morning I want to talk to you from the subject haunted by worry. You know, if we have any reason to be fretful in the natural, it would be in the season in which we live. Um, We have come through as a nation some of the most difficult years in the last couple of years since the Great Depression. Now, some of you may not believe that because you lived during those times, but the numbers are, are really, really close when it comes to inflation and the lack of work, or in our case, lack of people who want to go to work, amen. And uh, a lot of those different types of things. And so our nation has come against a very serious time. And probably none of us have really just lived through a pandemic. The Spanish flu was a big thing that happened, you know, in the early 1900s. But, uh, you know, if there's somebody alive here this morning that was alive during that time, it would shock me. But wow, if so, but it was a long time ago. Most of us have not lived through that type of era. So what I want you to realize is in the last couple of years, we've had this pandemic where pandemonium, mass confusion has gone all around the globe concerning this mysterious disease called COVID-19. And then on the heels of COVID-19, now 
father's monkeypox. Amen. And people are trying to figure out what do you do with the monkeypox and what do you do with COVID and, and when the news is not getting enough traction and there's not something popular enough to spark the headlines, here we come with another variant of COVID-19. It just seems like a never-ending vicious cycle in the news. When you top that, we end up having record unemployment, uh, people not able to find what they deem to be uh, suitable jobs for uh, full-time employment. Employment is sky- unemployment skyrocketing. You can't go anywhere, even here in Woodward, where you don't see signs that say, uh, excuse our slow service, we don't have enough employees. People are short everywhere. When you actually deal with that, we've had the skyrocketing gas prices. They've come down. Now they're saying because of the stuff overseas, now it's climbing back up slowly. We've got inflation and a talk of recession. If we're not careful, we can allow the headlines from CNN, Fox, and the New York Times to absolutely throw us into a frenzy to where we lose sleep, we're fretful, we're worrying about tomorrow and all of the things which happen in our future. But I want you to know something this morning. God's will, God's desire is not for us to live that way. Amen. If we're not careful, it'll cause us to bite our fingernails, get ulcers in our stomachs, and to lose sleep. But God's plan for His people is to be governed by the great, awesome peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Come on, anybody thankful for the peace of God this morning? Now, you've got to understand, life doesn't have to be that way. Now, I can't help your overspending. I can't help your overeating. I can't help your family difficulties. But what I can do is give you some principles from the Word of God that will help you get a jump start on worry because I'm just being honest with you, the depression rate in America as it relates to doctor's visits and as it relates to the prescription of, of antidepressant medication, it begins to skyrocket in the fall through what they call the dark months of the year, the wintertime when it starts getting darker and cloudier outside and so October, November, December, the holiday, all of that stuff begins to bring in all types of ungodly fear and anxiety and stress and so this morning we're going to get a jump on it and have some tools in our tool belt to be able to fight the adversary when he comes to our life. Amen. That's what we need to do because God has called us to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So we're going to look at this this morning and see this. But here's what I need you to know. Your natural default setting is not good. Now, how many of you have ever had an electronic piece of equipment, whether or not be an iPhone or an Android phone or a computer or something, and something go wrong with it, and you have to do the dreaded reset? You go in and you reset it to the factory default. And typically you lose all your information and all of that stuff and you've got to sync it back up with all your cloud and your pictures and, and everything. Well, here's what I want you to know. Man's default mode is not set on spiritual things. By nature, by the fall of Adam, by sin entering into the world, we are very carnal people. And by carnality, what I mean is, is that we're very driven by the flesh and the soulish part of our lives. See, man is a tripart being. We are made in the image of God. So in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. John's, John's gospel says, God is a spirit. 
And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the part of us that is most God-like is our spirit. Then later you go into Genesis chapter 2 and it's not two parts of creation. It's one creation with Moses allowing us to see the different aspects. Because God creates the spirit part of man. And then he says, and God formed man from the dust of the ground. He made him a body. Why? Because spirit was, is like God, but the body was made for the earth. And so God made man a body. Then when he had masterminded and created his creation, the Bible says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. He became animated. He had his own thoughts and his own mind. And I want you to know that in God's original design, man was perfectly um, without fault. He had no defects. Uh, there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no spiritual death, no disconnect. But when, when Adam and Eve transgressed by eating of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, the sin nature became open and alive inside of man. And there are several things that happened. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Man's perfection was uh, thwarted by man's disobedience. The fruit was eaten and all of a sudden they hid themselves from the presence of God because their eyes were open. God says, Adam, why did you hide yourself? And he said, because I was naked and I was afraid. First time fear in that nature is mentioned in the scripture. So this emotional side of man began to wake up. And men have all different types of emotions, right? We have fear, we have anger, we have anxiety, we have feelings of well-being. There are all these different types of emotions. But worry is something that man's body is set on default. Because I don't know about you, but we have this, this thing inside of our brain. It's the pituitary gland, a little thing the size of a walnut. And God put it there to secrete all different types of things in our body when we need it. So when you're healthy, it's working right. And one of those areas of your hypothalamus, that area in your brain, is secretes something called adrenaline. Anybody know what adrenaline is? It secretes something called adrenaline, which adrenaline is the chemical, the hormone in your body that is responsible for what we call the fight or flight syndrome. Uh, That is when you get under extreme pressure or stress, this is like a superman, supercharged type of power in your body that's not meant to be forever. It just lasts momentarily, but it can help you get out of dire situations. And so the problem is, is that man, when we go through trauma, we go through crisis, we go through certain situations, uh, it can cause us to get diswired, if you will. And so now things that don't bother normal people now bother everybody. Can I give you an example? When I was a child, I had to have a surgery when I was about four years old. It was a tonsillectomy, not a major surgery. But um, my, my mom told me the story that um, I developed this fear, this great fear of anything white. I'm talking about paper, milk, uh, cream, anything white. Because at that age, I associated white in my young brain. All I remembered was the, the it took, mom said it took like seven or eight technicians to hold me down to get the IV in my arm. 
And that's all I remembered was the bright lights and the white coats and all of that stuff. And so what happened is for for years, whenever I would see something that was that color, it would just trigger something. That's what the enemy does. He causes us to have this ungodly, unnatural fear and anxiety about circumstances and situations in our life. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. God does not want us to walk in a state of panic or worry. He wants us to walk with faith. He wants us to walk with soundness of mind. And He wants us to flow in the peace of God. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk about this and see exactly how we can do that in our day-to-day life. I want to go back and look at this passage one more time. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. I don't know if you're the type of person that likes to write in your Bible. There's some people that they believe that's sacred. You don't write in your Bible. Me, mine looks like reading rainbow. I mean, there's just stuff everywhere inside of there. So if you're the type of person that highlights or writes in your Bible, it would do you well this morning to underline, highlight, or circle that phrase, do not worry. It doesn't sound like a suggestion. And in fact, it is a command. Do not worry about what? Your life. About what you'll eat or what you'll drink. About your body, what you'll put on it. Is life not more than food? The body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor they gather in the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So I want you to notice that Jesus, when he's talking here, this is red letter. He's talking about uh, our trust in God. His ability to take care of us, his ability to provide for us, and his ability for us to be able to trust him with everything. And he makes a comparison between humanity and the birds of the air. So notice, I love what he says in verse number 27. He says, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Let me give that to you in language that we use every day. Which one of you, by worrying, can make yourself go from five foot one to five foot two? Nobody. Because worry, all it does is robs your today and steals from your tomorrow. Worry causes us to put our faith in the wrong direction. And so we're going to look at this and see. But go back and let's continue here. He said, So then, why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today gathered, cut, and then thrown into the fire, he said, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Then he says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, This morning, as we're looking at being haunted by worry, I want to tell you that worry can be one of the most damaging things to our existence. Now, I'm going to tread very lightly here, but I want to tell you that, as I mentioned a moment ago, the last few years have really brought out, I believe, in some instances, the best in people, but in most instances, it brought out the worst in people. 
Because we don't, didn't know how to navigate these waters. And listen, I want to be very frank with you. COVID-19 was very serious to some people. I know people personally who lost lives. My mother almost lost her life over COVID-19. But for the overwhelming majority of people, it wasn't anything but sniffles and, and whatever. Still bad. So I want you to hear me. Don't throw rocks just yet. But worry crippled people so much that people refused to live their life. And there are people three years later almost that are still not living in a sense of normal. The enemy has come in and said, well, you can't go to your mailbox. You can't go to the post office. You might get COVID. Then, they, then the enemy comes in and says, well, if you get COVID, what if they don't have a respirator for you? And, and what if nobody can come see you? And, and what, if you, what if you die? And so all of this worry and dread sets in and causes you to stop living your life. And I'm going to tell you, if you're afraid to live, you've died anyway. There's one thing about being cautious, but there's another thing about living in a perpetual state of worry. There are some people who they are so used to being sick, they can be perfectly healthy and walk by a NyQuil display at Walmart. And because it's on sale, they'll buy some because, well, I, you know, I might get sick later and I need it. Come on, somebody. Oftentimes, we have more faith in the enemy's attacks and advancements against our lives than we do the word of the living God. I want you to think about it. God whose words are promised, uh, his words of promise are true. God whose words of promise will never fail. Oftentimes, we put more stock in the enemy's agenda against our lives than we do God's plan and purposes. And I believe that it's time to shift that mentality in our hearts and start trusting God with reckless abandon. So in this context of Matthew's gospel, chapter number 6, um, he's dealing with several things, several things that he is dealing with here. Um, when you begin to go to verse 19, you go to verse 19, you don't have to go there, but for context's sake, Jesus begins to talk to them about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven versus laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. And Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where uh, moth can break in and eat it and rust can destroy it and thieves can break in and steal. But he said, rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So in the totality of the context, if we're being honest about this passage when Jesus is talking about, don't worry about what you're going to eat, you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He's dealing with financial worry with people. And obviously, if people were worrying about finances in those days, then it would kind of stand to reason that people today would worry about finances. I, I don't want to raise your hand. You can just nod your head because I'll nod it with you. How many of you have ever worried about finances? Amen. Are we going to have enough? Is there going to be enough at the end of the month? Is there going to be enough of the budget? We, there are things that we, we, we concern ourselves with that really God wants us to trust Him with. How many blessings... Miracles do we cheat ourselves out of because of our failure to trust God? Trust Him with everything. Because listen, faith, although it's not blind faith, sometimes, well, no, not sometimes, 98.9% of the time, faith is always risky. 
Until you've had God tell you to empty out everything out of your bank account. He's done that to me twice. Until God's told you to give away your vehicle. Until God's told you to, to go to a strange land and you don't have everything you need to go. I re, I'm reminded of John G. Lake who God called to be a missionary. and He didn't have the money in his pocket, but God told him to go. When he got to the harbor to get on the ship, somebody turned around and said, Is your name John? He said, Yes, it is. He said, Here's your bus fare. God, I, God spoke to me to give this to you. Faith will never be fully realized until we step out in faith and are willing to take a risk. The only problem is, is that we don't like risks. We like to play it safe. We like a buffer. We like a buffer. We all do. I'm, I'm that same way. I like to keep a certain amount in the checking account just in case. I like to have just as much liquid cash just in case. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Please don't misunderstand me and tell me that I'm telling you to empty out all of your stuff. I'm not telling you to do that unless the Lord tells you to do that. But what I'm I'm telling you is oftentimes we put our faith in our stuff. Well, what about my job? What about my 401k? What about my retirement plan? What about my savings? Let me tell you something. Somebody needs to hear this, and I hope the Holy Ghost slaps you across your forehead today. Your job is not your source. It is a resource. God is your source. Can I tell you that as it relates to financial well-being, God doesn't need Chase Morgan. He doesn't need Wells Fargo. Come on. He doesn't need Capital One. He doesn't need anybody to finance his plan or purpose. Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's because, you know, uh, you haven't trusted God fully. The Bible does tell us about a man by the name of Elijah who God had called him to go somewhere and he parked himself beside a brook called Cherith. And at this brook, the Bible says that God commanded the ravens to feed him every single morning. In the morning and in the evening, the DoorDash Express of heaven brought food to the man of God and he was never hungry. You you, you missed the best part. It says the ravens brought him food. Listen, when you look at the scripture and you look at the Levitical law of clean and unclean, if you were to take birds, right, the, the, the dove would be the perfect picture of God's holiness and purity. And the raven is a scavenger. It's a dirty, unclean bird. That's why when Noah wanted to find out if the floodwaters had subsided, he let out a, a, um, a, a dove. And, uh, and the dove came back because it found no place to rest the foot of its, of, of its body. But then the raven was let out and he didn't come back because he was gorging himself on the putrefied flesh. The, the difference between the, the dove and the raven is significant because when you see God's provision in the hands of his servant Elijah, God used what was deemed as unclean from the world, unclean from the religious people to feed the man of God. Can I tell you that when God needs to bless you, when God needs to provide for you, he will use the most unlikely of circumstances. They don't have to be saved. They don't have to be sanctified. God can send a drug dealer to feed you if that's what he needs. Come on, somebody. God can cause anybody to bless you. But Elijah had to walk in trust. But you know, even Elijah, as God was supernaturally providing, I've got off my notes for a minute, but as God was supernaturally providing, he got pretty comfortable there. 
Don't you know that we can get comfortable in God's provision? Making what we want to make, driving what we want to drive, living where we want to live. And we're super comfortable. And we can never fathom that God would take his big God-sized boot and kick us in our behind and make us be uncomfortable again. But God did that to Elijah. Elijah wouldn't move, so you know what God did? The Bible said the brook dried up. All of a sudden, the man of God got thirsty. He didn't have anything to drink. And now he says, okay, Elijah, I want to provide for you a different way. I want you to go to Zarephath. When you go to Zarephath, you're going to find a woman there. She she is starving to death. All she has is just a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. And when you get there, you're going to find her. And I've commanded her to provide for you. So when he got to Zarephath, this is not even in my message. When he got to Zarephath, he, he got there and he found the woman at the gate of the city picking up sticks. And he asked her, he said, what are you doing? She says, I'm picking up sticks because I'm about to light a fire and make a cake. Me and my son are about to um, uh, make something and and it's going to be our last meal, but we're going to die, but at least we'll have a full stomach. And the audacity of the man of God says, make me some first. Who does that preacher think he is? But she did it. Her oil and her meal didn't run dry. God supernaturally provided. God was teaching a lesson between Elijah and this woman. Elijah's lesson was, Elijah, don't be comfortable in the places of provision. I can provide for you in many different ways. I can use the widow who has nothing. I can use the raven beside the brook. And he was also telling the woman, listen, you may not have a lot, but little is much when God is in it. And when you put God first and you seek first the kingdom and you make room for the prophetic in your life, I can make a way for you. That was good right there. When it comes to finances, people freak out. They start worrying. In fact, statistics tell us that the cause, leading causes of divorce in America today are stress over not just adultery, but finances. Financial strain. Worrying about this and worrying about that. And I want to just get right to our text this morning, tell you the context of, of Matthew 6 was dealing with financial mistrust and financial worry. And I want you to look in our passage and I want you to see exactly what God says to us. Look at verse 25 one more time. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Say it one more time, do not worry. Don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body, what you put on it, for life is more than that. More than food, more than the, the body is more than clothing. Then he says, look at the birds. Look, look, at, look at all of those things. They neither sow nor they reap. He says, they get, nor they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Why worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, and will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Here's the first thing I want to talk to you about out of this passage about worry. When we worry, number one, we lose perspective of our value. We lose perspective of our value. If you're taking notes, you need to write this down. I am a child of God. 
If you're a believer, I am a child of God. My father looks after me. My father takes care of me. Wednesday night, we talked about the providence of God. God's ability to be able to take care of you because he sees us. Uh, one of God's redemptive names. We have Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sidkenu. But there's one that a lot of us don't talk about. It's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord who sees. You lose perspective of your value when you worry and you waste good time, good sleep, good quality of, of, of other things that are more productive in your life. And when we worry about things, we lose perspective of our value. God says, look at the birds. Look at the things of the, of the earth. They weren't created in His image, but we were. Here's a tough one. Worry in its essence, can be a sinful practice. Now, we start messing up right there because people think sin is, you know, adultery or cheating on your taxes or kicking your dog or cussing somebody out or getting drunk. But um, failing to trust God perpetually is basically saying, God, I don't believe what you said. Am I wrong about it? Now, the great thing about this is that all of us have done this before and it's something that all of us can work on. But the bottom line is we have to get our perspective back into focus to realize that God is going to take care of me. God sees me. He knows what I am going through. Even when I feel forsaken, I have not been forsaken. He will never leave me or forsake me. But I am his child and he will take care of me. All my job is to do is to trust him. Got to trust him. Here's the next thing I see. It's found in verse 31. He says, do not worry saying what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Now, here's the second reason why we don't need to worry. You ready? We don't need to worry because when we worry, we lose our testimony. We lose our testimony. Folks, we, looking back, on the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. We have a testimony dating all the way back to Adam and Eve and, and, and through the prophets and through David and, and through all of the hardship and all of the, the heartbreak from the judges to the prophets to everything in the Old Testament. We have a testimony of God's faithfulness to his people. He's faithful to his people. Listen, we need to have concrete resolve in our hearts that we are God's and our testimony is that God provides for His children. We don't lose our testimony because when we start worrying, oh Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this and that? We've all been there. We've all done that. We've had a pity party. They're terrible. Nobody comes to them. Black balloons, black Black icing, black tablecloths is terrible. Here's what the Bible says. Why are you worrying about that? The Gentiles worry about that. You know what he's in essence trying to say? People who don't know God, that's the type of stuff they worry about. 
The world is biting their fingernails, saying, how are we going to pay our bills? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And, And what God is trying to tell us through Jesus in this passage is that as believers, we have to learn to trust Him because our testimony is one of God's faithfulness. Can I remind you of something? That through all of the heartaches of Scripture, God always provided for His people. One of, my, one of my favorite stories of the Old Testament is found in Exodus when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. The plagues come and there's the locusts and the, the Nile rivers turn into blood and there's the flies and there's the frogs and, and the hailstorm. And of course the last one would be the death angel and the blood applied. But in that was the plague of darkness. Utter darkness all across Egypt. It was so dark you couldn't even see in front of your face. It was the blackest of black. Not a star shine. The moon did not give light. The sun did not radiate. It was a, a blackness that covered Egypt. But I love what it said. It said that while there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in the land of Goshen. Where the children of Israel were, there was light in the land of Goshen. When the hailstorm came, the scripture also records in Exodus that they walked through the hailstorm and not a hailstone touched them. Whoo, praise God. There's a story of God's faithfulness. We lose our testimony. When Daniel was in the lion's den and they thought they would shut his mouth, instead of the enemy shutting Daniel's mouth, God shut the mouth of the lion and brought victory in his life that day. We see David go through victory after victory, yes, there were failures, but yes, there were victories. We see all of the victories of the patriarchs of our faith, and we have to realize that all of us are gathered under the banner of that same name, the name of Jesus, and we belong to the same family. And our testimony is, while the world is losing their mind, we're not going to lose our mind. We're going to trust in God who is faithful from everlasting to everlasting. We don't lose our testimony. In fact, it's a greater testimony that when the world is going crazy, they see the church being blessed. Then they have to turn to the church for the answers. But when we're biting our fingernails and we're rolling around in the floor, not trusting God, not not willing to move, not willing to operate in faith, not willing to give, holding on to everything we have so tightly that we don't trust God, we lose the very testimony that God has given us. Here's the third one. It's found in verse number 32, and we're going to read the rest of the passage. It says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But notice what he said. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these what? All of these what? Say it one more time. What? All of these things will be added to you. Have to ask yourself what things? Food, clothes, shelter, all of the above. The material, carnal, temporal things that we're stressing about. God says, seek me first. Seek my will first. Seek my kingdom first. Listen, sometimes we worry about stuff because we we buy stuff and we spend money that God didn't tell us to buy and that he didn't tell us to spend. And now you're reaping 
seeds that you have sown from financial impropriety. Been there, done that, have the t-shirt. Gotta have it. Everything your little beady eyes want. The problem is it looks good until the payment comes due. Come on, somebody. Now, somebody say, thank God for mercy. Because I have had God in the past cancel some debts that I owed. The greatest one being at Calvary. But also, some other ones along the way. So I thank God for that. Some debts have been canceled. But a lot of times we worry because of actions that we have put on ourselves. So the only way you fix that kind of worry is to pray and get mercy and to make better choices. But here's another reason why worry is so terrible. Here's the fourth one. Worry is bad because we forfeit our joy. We forfeit our joy. When we worry about things, we bite our fingernails and we fret. It causes us to worry. Look at verse number 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's what he's trying to say. You're laying in bed at night. I've been there. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching anything to you that I'm saying I have ascribed perfection in this area. I have gotten 90% better. I'm still working on the other 10%. Because listen, my family has a lineage of worry. Serious. Somebody says, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you. I automatically think the worst. They're leaving the church. They're going to quit. What have I done? Have I said something? Oh, my God, what did I say in that sermon yesterday? Did I offend somebody? Automatically. It's the default nature. And I have to fight that all the time by the renewing of the Word of God and by prayer. There are, there, there are these things that we, we fight. You have one little ache in your body, and, and now you're about to die. Come on, somebody. One of the worst human creations ever on the face of the planet was WebMD. Huh, I have a headache in the front of my head. I wonder what causes that. Brain tumor! I mean, hello. You know, it's always the worst thing. It couldn't be the allergies outside. Couldn't be the pollen, you know. Couldn't be that you just got stressed a little bit or you had too much caffeine. No, we're going to die tomorrow. Am I telling the truth, anybody? And oftentimes we worry about things that never manifest. In essence, robbing our today and stealing the joy of our tomorrow. Here's what he says. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is sufficient in itself. Now listen, when he says do not worry about tomorrow, don't hear what I am not saying. He's not saying don't plan for the future. I'm not saying don't plan for your kid's college. I'm not saying don't put money back for, the, for the, the, their first car. I'm not saying don't, don't, don't plan for your retirement. But don't worry about it. There's a difference between planning and worrying. Because worry steals our joy. It robs you of your health. robs you of your peace. It robs you of your productivity. You, you have no idea how many times people have come to me and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay, what's up? Oh, man, I'm dealing with this, and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that. And I just, I hadn't even been able to think straight in like three days. 
And those are three days you never get back. You've been robbed by worry, your productivity, your joy, all of those things. Listen, planning is different than worrying. One is positive, one is negative. In fact, worry is faith in the wrong direction. I'm about done. Faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that we have not yet seen. It is a hopeful expectation. Fear, and, and we're going to talk about fear later, but fear and, and attached to that worry is, is faith and dread in a wrong direction. We're worrying about something that's going to happen. And we're worrying about something that hasn't even manifested itself yet. And we're robbing ourselves of productivity and peace and joy in our lives. When we worry, we're exercising negative faith for something that may never happen. And what's the conclusion? How do we deal with this? What's our step? What's our answer? What's our solution? I told you the problem, but how do we get out of this? Well, Paul wrote about this while he was in a Philippian jail cell. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 9. Darren, you can come, or team, whoever's coming this morning. Philippians chapter 4, let's look at this. I want you to read this with me. We're going to read it slow. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. The Bible says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it'll guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God be with you. Now, I want to pull a couple of things out really quick. Worry starts in our hearts. You agree with that? Our innermost being. That's where worry starts. Then worry affects our body, affects our mind. But worry starts coming out of the, the mouth quickly. I didn't pull this out a second ago, but in Matthew 6, um, Verse number 31, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? So worry, once it gets in your heart, it starts coming out of your mouth. You start speaking things. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Because what we think on, it matters. What we think about matters. This, this this morning is not some new age positive thinking stuff. This is scripture right here. Paul said, be anxious for some things. Come on, is that what he said? Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. 
Be anxious for some things. No, that's not what he said. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. He says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, close your Bible, I'm done. Sometimes our words tell on us. No, all the time our words tell on us. I have met many a good Christian before going through crisis and hard time. And I've always told people, um, there's an Arkansas saying, I was raised in the country, what's down in the well always comes up in the bucket. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Always, every single time. You want to know... You want to know who somebody is? I'm going to give you a revelation here, okay? You really want to know who somebody is. Get them mad or get them drunk. The real person is coming out. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. I was drunk. No, it was in there. You just were inebriated enough to let it flow. What's down in the, in the well always comes up in the bucket, right? People get in hard times and they they're biting their fingernails oh God what are we going and then they say I guess all we can do now is pray you ever think God is up in heaven like as if prayer is our last resort as if prayer is our last resort you know prayer ought to be our first line of offense not our last line of defense. Corey Ten Boom, the, the famous woman who was hidden during the Nazi regime, I love what she said. She said, prayer is your steering wheel, not your spare tire. And so guess what? We don't need to bite our fingernails and then stay up all night and get ulcers and, and we're, you're, you're making ourselves sick and we're breaking out in hives and then finally, all right, I guess we need to pray about it. No, let's pray from the very beginning. We're going to trust God from the very beginning with this stuff. I'm going to trust God with my marriage. I'm going to trust God with my wife and my spouse. I'm going to trust God with my, with my life. I'm going to trust God with, with everything. And I'm going to put God first in my life and trust that everything else is going to line itself up. I want you to close your Bible. Stand up on your feet. With